Let us pray. Lord, as we now prepare to read these words that were written so long ago, we ask that you bless the reading of it and the hearing of it. That these words will somehow come alive for us today, that they will come off the page and make their way into our hearts. We ask that through them your Spirit will guide us, lead us, and teach us. That we will leave here today a little bit closer to you, a little more sanctified, with a slightly clearer vision of what it means to follow you. Bless this time that we have now in your presence and in the presence of each other. In Christ's holy name we pray. Amen. Please stand if you are able for the reading of the word. Our scripture today comes from the book of Acts, chapter 1, verses 6 through 14. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Today is the beginning of a journey through the book of Acts that we will be taking this summer. Acts is actually a sequel. It is um, written by Luke, and it picks up where the Gospel of Luke leaves off, and, uh, and that's why it starts with a bang right here in the first chapter. It starts off with Jesus ascending into heaven. And so Luke uh, wastes no time setting up the story, and he gets right into what happens immediately following the ascension. Uh, The book of Acts, as you will uh, find out over the next several weeks, uh, tells the story of how the church was formed, how their mission was realized, and how they executed it. And that's very important for us today because as a church, we also must align our vision with God's, and we also uh, must have a heart for mission as well. Because after all, what is the church without mission? It's merely a social club, right? 
But even social clubs a lot of times will have missions. Uh, as a member of, of Lions Club, I can tell you that uh, we, we enjoy socializing, we enjoy being together and, and, and having meals, sharing meals, but we also have a mission. We, we uh, donate um, eyeglasses and we support the, uh, the camp for those who are vision impaired and, and, so, and we uh, raise money through uh, our barbecue each, each year. So we have a mission, we have a purpose, there's something that we are doing. And if social clubs and civic clubs like that can have a mission, then how much more so should the church have missions? And our mission as a church is not just merely humanitarian efforts. It's not just doing something good. Our mission at the church is to do the work of God in the world because God uh, needs a body to act through, and the church becomes that body. So we have to have a mission in the church, but what good is mission without vision? You see, we can all come up with different ideas of what our mission should be, and, and some of us are really good at that. I've, I've had several of you come up and tell me what you think the church could be involved in, and there have been some great ideas. But the mission of the church must also be adopted by the church. It has to be a unified mission. And if you look at what the disciples did here when they got to the upper room and they prayed, it says they prayed with one accord. That means they prayed together. They were in unison on this. They didn't go into a room and have one person pray and then they all sat there and listened and nodded their head. They prayed together for the same purpose, for the same mission, for the same vision. Now, as you'll see in the weeks ahead, it is not long after this, after this prayer. It says they devoted themselves constantly to prayer. It's not long after this that the Holy Spirit fell upon them, what we call Pentecost. And the church was born. But that never would have happened if they had not unified themselves in the spirit of prayer so that they could share a vision and invite God into that vision. Now, catching God's vision is not as complicated as we sometimes make it. Sometimes we have the tendency to, uh, to wait for God to do something huge and radical and miraculous and give us this really powerful sign to let us know what we should be doing. And, and in the meantime, we just kind of wait. And that's not necessarily what we should be doing. You see, that's what the disciples were doing at first. Jesus ascended into heaven. And they just stood there staring up at the sky. And I'm sure that they must have been confused, if you think about it. Jesus is with us, we're following him, and then he's dead. And then he raises again, and we have him with us again, but now he's gone. And so they stood there and stared at the sky, as if they were waiting for something else miraculous to happen, to tell them what to do. They had already seen miracles. They had already seen God's power. They had already witnessed the resurrection, and now they had witnessed the ascension. But still, they were standing there waiting for God to tell them something. And fortunately, these two angels appeared beside them and said, What are y'all doing? Why are y'all staring at the sky? What are you waiting for? You can't just stand here and wait. And they realized that they had to actively wait. They had to go somewhere and pray, and seek God. 
You see, so often we wait for the big event, for God to just thunder through the clouds and and to just show us exactly what it is He wants us to do. But it doesn't always work that way. Sometimes God speaks to us in the small things, in the simple things. And we have to be attentive. We have to be alert. We have to devote ourselves to prayer if we're going to hear those things. Uh, Pete Gregg is the founder of a ministry called the 24-7 Prayer Movement. I was listening to an interview with him earlier this week, and he was talking about this, uh, this time that in his life where he was just really hungry for more of God, and, and he just had this burden on his heart to know God deeper, and, uh, and, and he was confessing to exactly what I was just talking about, that all of us kind of do it. We wait for God to do something big to make himself known. And so he was kind of waiting for God to do this big thing in his life. And one day as he was walking in the park, he heard in what he said was almost an audible voice. It was God speaking directly into his heart. He heard God say, Pete, stop and look at that tree. And so he stopped there on the sidewalk and stared at a tree. And he was waiting for some burning bush moment for God to speak to him through this tree for some miraculous thing to happen. And he kept standing there, staring at the tree. And he said he, all these people were walking by, and he just knew they were all thinking, what is that guy doing staring at that tree? And finally, after a couple minutes, he, he prayed, Lord, what is it? I'm looking at the tree. What do you want? And he said again, he felt the voice of God say, why does everything have to be so dramatic? I just thought it was a nice tree. The lesson in that is that God speaks to us even in the simple and small ways. God is always with us. He's always around us. The Holy Spirit is always trying to nudge us, to direct us. But we'll miss it if we are just waiting for the big miraculous thing and we're not listening. We will miss it if we are not intent and alert in our prayer life. Our attention is required because God oftentimes will speak in the simple things. Sometimes he'll even speak in silence. Our attention is best focused a lot of times when we are silent. Have you noticed that? If you stop somewhere and you just sit in silence, that's when we become the most alert. And God speaks in that silence because in silence we get a sense of our own desperation. The disciples were desperate here. Think about how abandoned they must have felt again. And they went somewhere, and out of desperation, they cried out to God. And when we get alone, when we get in that, that moment of silence, when we get a sense of our desperation, God speaks. Think about Jonah in the belly of the fish. Think about Elijah, the prophet, in the midst of his exhaustion. Think about David as he hid from Saul in the caves. Think about Paul in prison. Think about Jesus in the tomb. In the midst of silence, there is desperation. And in the midst of our desperation, we become alert. We become attentive to God. And he speaks to us then. 
It's not enough just to wait, just to sit there, just to, to say, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to let God speak to me when he's ready. We have to seek him out. We have to make an effort. One thing I remember about playing baseball, uh, and I, this goes all the way back to my childhood, is that there were always bench warmers, right? There were always people who didn't get to, to play as much, and they'd be in the dugout sitting on the bench while everybody else was out there on the field. And, and I remember this very clearly. The people who sat on the bench and were completely disinterested in the game, who weren't paying attention, who were playing, who were laughing, who were doing other things or, or napping, they weren't going to get put in the game. The ones who got put in the game were the ones who harassed the coach. Put me in, coach. I'm ready. I want to play. I want to get involved. Put me in. And when, and when they would do that, the coach would say, okay, you know what's going on in the game. You're alert. Your heart is in this. I can trust you enough to go out there. And the coach would put them in. And it's the same way with us and the church. Some of us are just sitting on the bench, not paying attention or distracting ourselves with other things. Which of us are saying, all right, God, put me in. I'm watching the game and I'm into it. I want to be a part of it. Who among us is doing that? When we do that, we initiate the conversation just as the disciples did when they actively waited together in that upper room. We have to be involved in conversation, and we have to all be involved in that conversation. Like I said, it wasn't they got together in the upper room and one person said, all right, God, put us in the game. We want to see what to do. And everybody else just kind of sat there and listened. They were all praying together in one accord. And I don't, I don't want to go off on a rant and get on my soapbox here, but, but one thing that I've noticed troubling in the church, and I'm not talking about just this church, I'm talking about every church, and it's, it's an epidemic probably in America, maybe even globally, is that we've forgotten how to pray as a group. We've forgotten how to pray as a congregation. And I see that everywhere. People content to allow the pastor to pray while they sit there and listen. And of course, we do that. We pray in our hearts. We, we, as, as someone leads us in prayer, we, we agree, we acknowledge that. But we also have to be willing to be in that conversation ourselves. And I know praying publicly is uncomfortable for a lot of people. Trust me, I know that. When I married Claire, she would not even say the blessing at dinner time because she did not want to pray in front of. She said, "I'd say I'd say the blessing to myself, or like in my head, or you can say it, but I'm not going to say it out loud." And I understand praying in public can be a very uncomfortable thing, but Christianity is not about comfort, is it? It's about getting out of our comfort zone to experience God. All of us want to experience God, don't we? I mean, that's why we're here. We, all of us are either in a relationship with God or we are seeking to be in a relationship with God. And we can't be in a relationship if we don't speak with God. And we can't speak with God if the only time we speak with God is when nobody else is around. I married Claire because that was the most important human relationship in my life. How would that relationship look if I only spoke to her in private? If every time we went in public, I was uncomfortable speaking to her around other people? Our relationship wouldn't be very healthy, would it? It would suffer. 
If we are going to be in relationship with God, if we are going to align our vision with his, if we are going to ask him to get us involved in what he is doing in the world around us, we have to be willing to speak and to be able uh, to listen together with each other in harmony. It's not enough to just sit on the bench and wait. In the 1850s, there was a man named Jeremy Lanfear. He was in New York City, and he had this burden on his heart to, uh, to see a revival in the city of New York. And so he started telling people at his church that he was going to have these prayer meetings. And he invited everyone to come, and he, he wanted to pray for the city of New York. Well, he had his first meeting that first week. Six people showed up. He later said that he was very disheartened by this. He was, he was very upset that only six people came. But he decided to make the most of it, and he and those six people all prayed together. They all prayed together for revival in New York City. And as they did that, the excitement in that room, the excitement in that group, grew to the point where some of them went out and they started telling other people, yeah, we got together and we all just started praying with each other. It was amazing. The next week there were 10 people there. Then a few weeks later there were 20 people there. And then, after just a couple months, there were so many people there that he had to rent out a second floor because they couldn't all be contained on the first floor. It it continued to grow. It spilled out onto the streets. People in other cities started hearing about it. Chicago, New England, Detroit made its way down south. People started having these prayer meetings every week in these cities all over the place where people would get together and they would all pray together for revival. It was called the Fulton Street Revival, and they say that over one million Americans came to know Jesus Christ through that revival. No revival has happened like that in America since. It's been over 150 years, and that was the biggest revival to... to, no, No revival of that scale has happened since then. But it happened because one man prayed, and then six people prayed with him. And they prayed together all in one accord. See, we wait for God to speak. And we wait together. But are we going to be active in our waiting? Will we pursue God with all of our hearts, with all of our minds, with all of our our souls, all of our strength? Will we devote ourselves to prayer like the disciples did? Will we seek a common unifying vision for this church. What kind of waiting are we doing? Are we content to sit on the pew and be a bench warmer? Or do we desire deeply and earnestly desire to seek the Holy Spirit and to see the Holy Spirit work in the world around us? God is not going to zap any of us with a bolt of lightning on the forehead to reveal his grand master plan to us. What he wants is for us to commit to him. What he wants is for us to devote ourselves to him.
to seek Him, to pursue Him, and to wait on Him actively. Jesus said, Seek and you will find. Ask and it will be given. Knock and the door will be opened unto you. When we pursue God's vision, when we pursue what His mission for the church is, when we pursue God together, He will breathe the Holy Spirit into us, onto us, and through us. Let us pray. Lord, so often we have waited for a sign. We have waited for something big and miraculous to come show us what to do, and we confess that we have not been actively seeking you in the way that we should. We ask for your forgiveness for this and for your healing. Lord, we ask that you give us hearts of submission and hearts of devotion. We ask that you unite us in a way that we realize we are all in relationship with you together. And we can all approach you together. We can all seek you together. Lord, we ask that none of us here will ever be content to be a bench warmer. But that you will put a desire in our hearts to get in the game. We pray that your Holy Spirit descends upon us, that it ignites us, that it inspires us. But Lord, we pray for attention. We pray for hearts that are open to the movement of that Spirit. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Um, Next week, I know, is, is the first of the month, and we generally have communion on the first of the month. I will not be here next week. So I sort of made a last-minute decision to do communion this morning. So I know that that threw some people off. I know some of you just don't like to do communion if it's not in the bulletin. But we're going to do it today. So please turn with me to page 12 in your hymnals. And read along with me responsibly. Christ our Lord invites to his table all who love him who earnestly repent of their sin and seek to live in peace with one another. Therefore, let us confess our sin before God and one another. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors, and we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.